The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you along for the ride. Same goes for Nathan Miller. He's our producer, staying at the board, keeping us in our lane, as it were. Today, we are going to take a trip to some national parks and monuments because of their grandeur, yes, but in particular today because of their association, their inclusion, and being the setting, in many cases, of some classic films. We're talking about national parks, monuments, and Hollywood, the movie industry. With all that grandeur, you have to figure a director, not to mention a producer, might say, we can't let all of that go to waste. We're going to be talking with Jeffrey Mark. Our pal is back. He is the walking encyclopedia of Hollywood history, particularly the classic period, and he has some wonderful stories to tell and very reliable information. That's what it's about today on this episode of American Road Trip Talk. We'll be back with the interview and the stories right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and alert drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert drops will stop it. What is alert drops? Alert drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you're studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertdrops.com. Very important. Go to alertdrops.com and stay safe. Are we there yet? That's not a question you'll be hearing while cruising around Nevada. That's because here in the road trip capital of the USA, that old cliche about it being the journey that matters more is actually legit. In Nevada, you can kick back in a crowdless state or national park, gaze up at some of the nation's darkest, most star-studded skies, meander among the world's oldest living trees, have your breath stolen by the crystal clear waters of Lake Tahoe. All along the way, you will find the kinds of iconic, wide-open highways where road trip dreams are made. For insider tips about Nevada road trips and unexpected Silver State destinations, order your free Nevada magazine and visitor guide today at TravelNevada.com slash travel guides. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. National parks and monuments in the movies. That's what we're talking about today. And who better to discuss that topic with than our friend Jeffrey Mark. Jeffrey Mark has been called a walking encyclopedia of show business history. A singer, stand-up comedian. He's all kinds of good things. Wonderful author, wonderful biographer and researcher. He knows nightclubs. He knows cabarets. And he's an off-Broadway veteran, too. Jeffrey has hosted radio series, written comedy, and now writes and produces documentaries and reality shows for cable TV. Jeffrey Mark also has written three best-selling books devoted to Lucille Ball, Ella Fitzgerald, and Ethel Merman. And so we welcome, for the umpteenth time, Jeffrey Mark. How are you doing today, Jeffrey? 
I think this is the umpteenth and two. Umpteenth plus two. I will make a note, sir. Yes, it's great to see you again and hear always, from you. Always, Aha. always happy. Happy to be with you and our friends listening out there. This idea came to me about five days ago, and I said, oh, I've got to get Jeffrey Mark on the show because I put myself in the place of great directors <laughs> and producers and wondered if they picked a national park, it's because they were really wanting to mount the story on the big screen in the biggest possible way. So impressive are national parks. I keep using the word grandeur, but it seems like I'm selling these places short. And so I wanted to talk to you, Jeffrey, about some classic movies that shows either a national park or maybe a national monument, some kind of hallowed land in Hollywood that everybody would recognize and go, oh, oh, that's it. And so well, I figured, I, are you up I, for I that? I canceled the doctor's appointment to be here with you. So I am ready to go. Oh, my goodness. Now I bear the extra responsibility. We got to do this right, Jeffrey, but I'm counting on you. So we'll be fine. Let's start with Alfred Hitchcock. Now, I tell you, Jeffrey, and, and I'm just hoping that you will corroborate my story here because I can't tell you how many people I have regaled with with just the sense of wonder watching that film and seeing those guys. And I remember, uh, you know, Martin Landau took a bit of a tumble there, but you've got Cary Grant. How in the world was Alfred Hitchcock able to get those guys, first of all, to get permission, but then to get them climbing the magnificent edifice itself of Mount Rushmore? Because I'm sure that's how it happened. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> well, let's take a little half a step back. The reason a lot of these very famous monuments and famous geographical places began to appear in films is because of television. There was this sense of what can we do on the big screen that television either can't do or can't afford to do? This is why stereophonic sound came in. This is why widescreen came in. This is why color was almost every film was now done in color. They, they had to do something to get us folks to spend our big 35 cents to get into the movie theater and buy some nickel popcorn. So they began to put these things in. For someone like Alfred Hitchcock, it was just a natural extension of his own imagination rather than having to build replicas, although they had to do that anyway, rather than shooting all of it on a, a sound stage at Paramount or Universal, wherever he happened to be working, they could now go out there, go right to the place. And uh, they were given permission because this is the best publicity in the world. You know, who doesn't love an Alfred Hitchcock film? And here he is showing us a place to go to. They couldn't pay enough to get that kind of publicity. So as long as there were the usual legal things in place, meaning there had to be insurance in case you lopped off somebody's nose or somebody fell and hurt themselves, they were more than happy to have Hollywood come in and shoot there. Now, we both know that the actors did go but the they're really where they're falling and stuff. That part is done in a studio that was done with special effects because I don't care how good the film is. No actor is going to actually hang on to a monument for their life. That's just not worth any amount of money, but it, it became a thing. And then all of a sudden films were shooting everywhere all over the country. And then in Europe and other places as well. 
And people will still wonder. In fact, as I understand it, people even today, Jeffrey, will say, wow, Mount Rushmore, climbing up there, that must have been really dangerous. And the backstory is that you, Alfred Hitchcock, being Alfred Hitchcock, could make it seem as though that is exactly where they were filming at that moment. Well, uh, I, I, I talked to Marty Landau about the film. Marty and I were buddies. And, and he said, first of all, to be, you know, Marty Lando at that moment in his life was not yet a very famous actor. So this was a big break for him to get into this kind of a film. So, he, you know, you're working with Alfred Hitchcock. You're, you're going to do whatever he asks of you. But he said uh, they were very, very careful. Uh, no, no one was going to kill Cary Grant. No one was going to kill Martin Landau or in other films, James Stewart or they weren't going to kill people to get a film made. So great protections were made. It was a combination of having the actors there, having stunt people doing things from very far away shots where you can't tell that it's a stunt man. And then going into the studio because because Hitchcock was brilliant at this and matching the scenes so perfectly that you could not tell that it was that that thing you saw 10 seconds ago. Now it's six months later and we're in a studio matching it up. Hitchcock did something very few directors do. He didn't edit in the editing bay. He edited it in his head. So he didn't shoot more than he needed. He shot exactly what was in his head that way, no editor could come behind him and louse up his good work. Ah. So he knew exactly what he wanted, shot for shot, long before the film started, which made it easier for him to say, all right, we're sending out people with cameras to Mount, Mount Rushmore. Here are the pictures. Here's the pictures of the actors there. Now special effects people and scenic people make this happen in the studio because they knew exactly what they were matching because he was a genius. That's, that's, that's why his films are so good. I've actually, this is a little sidebar note, but I thought I would mention it, Jeffrey. I have heard it said, it wasn't said by me, but by someone who knew more about movies than me, just not as much as you there. And this person said, the reason why Alfred Hitchcock there is both loved as a director is because of his movies. And it's also why it's easy for people to overlook him when they talk about the greatest directors. They'll talk about John Ford, people in the baby boomer generation like me talk about Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg. But people, I think many people fail to give Alfred Hitchcock his due because of the kinds of movies that he made. Does that make sense to you? Sure. Well, he, he did. I mean, he did do some films that had some humor in them. But basically, he was a master of suspense. He, he knew how to get a movie audience involved emotionally in the films he was making so that he, he knew he had that thing he called the MacGuffin where, where something bad is about to happen and he lets the audience know it's about to happen. And then the squirming in your seats is like, no, that can't be happening. No, that's not going to happen. And either it does happen or it doesn't. But either way, he keeps the audiences squirming. He was a genius at that. And he was a genius at getting very pretty people. If you think about the casts he had, very pretty people to do very ugly things. 
he didn't cast um, ugly folks, physically ugly folks, necessarily as the bad guy. Sometimes the bad guys were gorgeous. And sometimes the heroes weren't. He was a genius. Uh, you know, my, my favorite director of all time is Stanley Kramer. And we're talking about monuments and things. Look at the work Stanley Kramer did. And it's a mad, 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 mad world. Oh, yes. How much? Because that was all shot on location. Uh, not not very far from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, and and the, again, you have this enormous cast of people. Spencer Tracy and Jimmy Durante and Ethel Merman and Milton Berle and Dick Sean and just all these wonderful Buddy Hackett, and Mickey Rooney. And they're all on location because they 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 only matched up scenes in that film where the actors were going to be in peril. Uh, towards the end of the film, if you've never seen it, there are scenes where these guys are hanging off of buildings and hanging off of ladders and getting hurt. Obviously, that couldn't be filmed right there at the location. But I think Stanley Kramer did the same thing that Hitchcock did. He was very, very uh, thorough in having photos taken of the actual places so that first they filmed at the actual places, giving the studio time to build the sets and then come in and match them. So you almost can't tell it's, it's, it's not real. But I don't think it's a mad, 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 mad world could have been half as funny if it wasn't actually right there. When they talk about it being hot in that film, because they're out in the desert, uh, the best actor in the world can't make them perspire like the actual <laughs> actors were because it was 120 degrees out. They had to keep them in refrigerated like cattle cars hmm. to keep them from fainting because these people, a lot of them were over 40 and over 50 and over 60. And that's, that's how they kept the actors from just killing themselves doing this. They had to take extra special care uh, like, like we're doing right now in the summers out here in the desert and in Europe now. You have to drink lots of water and stay cool and wear very, very light clothing. They had to be very careful about the costuming that people didn't get weighed down by it. Uh, it takes an exceptional director to do location shooting like we're talking about today. Sometimes even for television. Lucille Balls, are, are, you know how much I love the work of Lucille Ball. Yes. Her birthday is coming up August 6th. She'll be 111. May she rest in peace. Um, she did two separate things about 20 years apart. One was the long, long trailer where they had them out in the Rockies filming. Now, the Arneses aren't really there. Uh, that was a Vincent Minnelli film. And they used stunt doubles and, 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 and just doubles for them. So the Arneses didn't have to fly to the locations. But much later on Here's Lucy, her third TV series, they did a series of four things. And she brought in George Marshall, who was an amazing film director, to direct those episodes of Here's Lucy, where there, she's literally, that is Lucille Ball, running the rapids at the Colorado River. Oh, really? Uh, the, the, the whole cast was there. It wow. was shot in the river. Uh, his name, George Marshall, he marshaled these filmings like it was an army thing. Uh, they had to be very, very careful. Miss Ball was in her late 50s at that point. The river was freezing cold 
when Lucy Arnaz got into it <laughs> to shoot one of the scenes and, you know, um, she 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 got in and, and there was an expletive there. They had to cut out of the show because she <laughs> he, she couldn't believe how cold that yeah. thing was. Lucille Ball thrived on that kind of a challenge, and uh, she got four wonderful shows at the Grand Canyon, uh, up in the Colorado Mountains. Uh, she shot it at the Air Force Academy in Colorado, and shot it right there at the Academy. I, I think for a film as opposed to a, a sitcom that has a, a live audience. If you have a live audience, you can't do any of this. And obviously, those of you who have watched Miss Ball through the years, almost always she had a live audience. For these four shows, it was a laugh track because it was all done on location. I, I think we've become almost accustomed to it. And yet they don't do it very much anymore today because the, the CGI, the computers now, you could be sitting there naked and they can make you look like you're wearing a tuxedo and you're in England about to meet the queen. So the reality has gotten blurred today, but those films made in the fifties and sixties, especially there's a magic about them that you couldn't have gotten in the studio. And I think we're losing it today by relying too much on computers. Agreed, Jeffrey, a hundred percent. It was my good fortune back in 2017. I got to see a few national parks and my wife, Suzanne, and I took the trip, but we live in Sarasota, Florida. We made it all the way to Vancouver, BC, and then headed back. So we were living diagonally for a time. There's 71 days on the road. And during that time on our way back, we were able to spend an afternoon because we had to keep a schedule at Badlands National Park. Now, in Utah, you talk about the Badlands, how many Westerns, and I'm sure there's a finite number, I just don't know what it is, were actually filmed there because the scale, the intensity of that wild beauty, and again, I'm overusing the word, but the grandeur of it, the majesty, if you will, of a place like Badlands makes you think, oh my God, you wouldn't, if you're a filmmaker, you wouldn't want to let all this go to waste if you're making a Western. There is a place quite like that in Arizona called Old Tucson. Old Tucson was one of the very first places they built, I think in silent films even, to, to go to to shoot Westerns where the weather would be just perfect and because there was nothing there. And, and, and a, a personal story, uh, I was taken there when I was seven years old and it just so happens that there was a personal appearance there by... Um, the, the man who played Lurch and Uncle Fester from Adam's family. Hmm. And um, I don't know why they took a shine to me, but Lurch put me up on his shoulders and Uncle oh, Fester wow. fed me comedy lines and I fed him back to him. And uh, uh, so I have a very fun personal memory of old Tucson, but uh, they're still shooting Westerns there when they want to, because it's, it's there. You don't have to build anything. It's all ready there and tucson has the, the perfect weather for that kind of thing there's also a place in uh, chatsworth california it, it's it's like a high point of a bunch of hills and a mountain they have shot star trek there they have st shot um i'm having a senior moment here um night gallery there they, they i think almost every live action hour-long show of the 50s and 60s 
in the 70s and 80s, sooner or later, they end up shooting up there. It, it's, it's, it's so recognizable. You almost go, oh, they're there again. So even close to Hollywood, there are monuments that they use, national parks they use, beaches they use, all those beach blanket films that my buddy Bill Asher shot in the 60s. They're all shot in the same place. They're all shot in the same little cove, a private beach. So they could shoot there. Um, if you're a student of film, these kinds of places show up regularly. The, how many films have had the Grand Canyon in it and television shows? Here's Lucy was not the only one. The Brady Bunch went down there and shot right there. They, Brady Bunch shot in Hawaii, right on Waikiki Beach. I remember. It Absolutely. Keeps, it keeps the shows from getting stale. But like I said, it, it can only be done with a show that's not shooting in front of a live audience. There, there's no way to do that. New York City. How many shows have actually shot pieces right by the Empire State Building or right by Radio City Music Hall? Times Square. All of, yes, Absolutely. When we talk about the national parks, their accessibility and their filmability, if you will, uh, I think of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Now, weren't they at Zion National Park in Utah? Yes. So there, and that's such a gorgeous setting. I mean, if you're going to tell a big story, that's a good place to do it. Well, there are people who are professional location scouters. These are people whose only job and they go one time during the classic days of Hollywood, every studio had two or three of these people on salary full time to find these places. Now it's you work individually, you're, you're freelance, but there are several people very well known. This is all they do. You hire them and you say, I need a big mountain or I need a beach that's unspoiled or I need a, a place that looks like it's a great big forest. And they go out there and they they and they they're the ones who find the places and then make the deals for you with the monument places or with the uh, iconic location, because not everything we're talking about is necessarily a monument, but they're monuments of memories for those of us who live in the United States. They make the deal. It's getting harder now because security is harder now. Uh, you, one did not expect people read a tat a tat So these days, less is being done, uh, and the the, the uh, feds are being more careful who they let into these parks to shoot these things. Unfortunately, those are the times we're living in. But thank goodness, we have these decades of films shot, and sometimes shot at monuments that have since been ruined, or despoiled, or have changed. And because of these films, we have what the original looked like. So we have it for all time, exactly as we saw it. Oh, thank you for that lead in. Perfect, Jeffrey. I, I can tell you, I actually chose a place to visit. Suzanne and I committed to go there. And it was a bit out of our way, but we were not going to miss it. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> a Steven Spielberg masterpiece. We went to Devil's Tower in Wyoming. We hiked around it. And if you think it's a walk around a monument, guess what? It's on an incline. So you'll be huffing and puffing. But when you look at that, there you talk about iconic. I'm so glad we made the trip there. It's stunningly beautiful. And I thought, sure, the aliens would be attracted to something like this. Of course, of course. 
the, I, I think most Americans, I don't know, you reach adulthood and we all have careers and responsibilities and we forget just how gorgeous this country is. And the, the a tremendous, because we're such a large country, the tremendous variety of monuments, iconic places, one of a kind places. And for those who can't travel for whatever reason, films and television have brought these iconic places to them. And I, I applaud that. I applaud that it served its purpose. It helped make whatever the film was better. And then it also, for the people who, there are people who will never get to see Times Square or never get to see Mount Rushmore or Waikiki Beach or the Seattle Space, you know, the Space Needle or the Arch in St. Louis. And film and television brings these things to us. It's one of the great wonders of our entertainment business. That's a great way of putting it, Jeffrey. It's kind of an equalizer because with the exception of the St. Louis Arch, all those places you just named, I visited and I did it deliberately. I wanted to be there. And yet, if you look at it mounted so lushly in film or on television, you get that kind of vicarious experience at the very least. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it adds to our national conscience and it adds to our enjoyment. Uh, before, before there were films, before there was television, uh, I, I know we're on radio. I, don't, I, I love radio. I have my own radio show, Jeffrey Mark Plazella. But the videos have enhanced the American life so much. And uh, we, we could do a whole other show just on this topic. I know we're running a little short of time here. But uh, for those of you who love classic films, North by Northwest, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, any of the Charlie Chan films, they actually shot B-roll at the right places. Go out and watch yourself a film. I recommend it. That's Perfect. Perfect way to end this episode. And you're right, Jeffrey, there's so much more to talk about. So we'll do that sometime soon. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I am yours anytime you want me. God bless and have a happy. And same to you, Jeffrey Mark, everybody. Thank you for tuning into American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.